Well, this is lesson four of our uh, curriculum on the gift of tongues. And of lesson four, we call this five bad doctrines debunked part two. And so we've been looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the doctrines of baptisms. And in this instance, the, the gift of the Holy Ghost and praying in tongues. We started last week debunking five, the five most common doctrines that are anti-tongues. The body of Christ has always been divided on this, except for in the very beginning when Jesus was doing it and the church was was about whatever Jesus wanted. But ever since modern Christianity, and by that we say maybe since the Reformation till now, the church has always been divided. There's always been those that have found the Holy Ghost and and became what they call Pentecostals, spirit-filled. And then there are those who stood against it for for their various reasons. We, We started covering last week that when it comes to Christianity, we build doctrine on the word. There's always going to be diversities of doctrines. Ephesians 4 says winds of doctrines. It doesn't say winds of false doctrines. There's always going to be different doctrines and differences of opinions in the body of Christ. Calvinism versus Arminianism. There's going to be pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, rapture doctrine. There's going to be you know, the doctrines of where do angels come or demons come from? Are they fallen angels? Are they pre-Adamites? Are they fallen Nephilim? There's always these debates, but as long as it's based on the Bible, praise God, we can have differences of doctrinal opinions. As long as our doctrines are based on the Bible. The problem comes when we as Christians start to build doctrine on things outside of the Bible. You cannot build doctrine, biblical doctrine, extra biblically. That would not be a biblical doctrine. Biblical doctrine is based on the things afforded us in the Bible. And we trust that God is sovereign and omnipotent enough that everything we need is in these 66 books. And as we looked at last week, It's established seven times in the Bible that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. Twice in the Old Testament, twice in the Gospels, and three times in the New Testament is that scripture quoted. And so we see that even the Bible obeys its own law and rule, that out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. Twice in the Old Testament, it's established. Twice in the Gospels, it's established three times in the epistles. So if we're going to build sound doctrine, we have to build doctrine on scriptural evidence, scriptural proof. So for me, with my background as a scientist, I look at the Bible as just a giant book of evidence, and that's what I build my biblical hypotheses from. We call it doctrine, and we would all be wise to do that. So we've been looking at the baptism of the Holy Spirit and what the Pentecostals called praying in tongues and what the Bible calls praying in tongues, and we've been looking at bad doctrines and judging what we call bad doctrines on tongues in light of this rule of two or three witnesses being needed to establish anything and everything. And so we covered two bad doctrines last week. Uh, they were tongues has been done away with and tongues is of the devil. And typically those two go hand in hand. And I think it's quite comical. Tongues is done away with. But if you are praying in tongues, it's the devil. Well, make up your mind, which is it? And we looked at how last week, uh, the, the three main theories that tongues has been done away with, they're all extra biblical theories. And the three dates given are 70 AD, 100 uh, 100 AD approximately, and then 435 AD. Okay, well, how do you know those dates? Because they're not in the Bible. 70 AD being when the temple was destroyed by the Romans in the Great War. They said, well, that's when tongues was done away with. Okay, well, then John the Revelator wrote the Revelation in 98 AD. So I guess he didn't have any gifts of the Spirit to see Jesus and prophesy about the future. So that book's heresy, if you believe the gifts are done away with in 70 AD. The other one is at the death of the last apostle being Paul, excuse me, apostle, apostle John, but that the Bible names about 28 apostles, 
not just the familiar 11, because nobody remembers the name of the 12th one that was chosen in Acts chapter one. His name was Matthias. So then on top of that, there's 18 more apostles listed in the New Testament. Well, when did they die? Or the fourth date, or the third date is 435 or the Nicene Convention, fifth century. And uh, so I, so I asked, well, that was about a year long, maybe a two year long convention. At what point during that convention did the Holy Spirit stop moving? Was it when he brought them together? Or would, would, did they need him all along the way to con- put our Bible together? Was it once they said, all right, we're done? At one point. And see, this is all extra biblical doctrine trying to support why you don't see the Bible in this capacity operating in your church. So then the other one was tongues is of the devil. Well, we looked at that. Never once in the Bible does it ever give the devil credit for speaking in tongues. In fact, the Bible blames the Holy Spirit over and over. The Bible calls it the gift of the Father. So wouldn't that not be blasphemy to give the devil credit for something Jesus Christ is doing? That brings us to our two, do- two more doctrines we want to address this morning. Remember, if you're going to disagree with something, at least be honest and say, I know it's in the Bible, but I don't want to be knowledgeable on this. Or like Mr. Rick shared, when uh, he, I was raised Baptist, Mr. Rick was raised Baptist. He said he came to uh, this church 25, 28 years ago, and he heard about this Pentecostal thing. And he saw, uh, I guess, Pastor Vaughn back in that day preached the message on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and ran through, you know, 20 verses. And he went home to his Baptist pastor and said, uh, I just heard a message and I had 20 verses to back it up. How come you've never taught on this baptism of the Holy Spirit and praying in the tongues? And the Baptist pastor said, well, son, those things we don't know about, we don't talk about. Well, it's okay to be ignorant, but be ignorant no more. You know, why hurt yourself? If, if you don't understand something, go study it out. I don't understand why some Christians would choose to be willfully ignorant of God. That, that, that makes no sense to me. We're commanded to study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If it's in the Bible, we ought to be studying it. Now, obviously, we don't make idols out of doctrine, but you should be well balanced and have knowledge on every one of the doctrines you can study and find. And it's something we never exhaust. So we're going to continue this morning debunking these five bad doctrines of the gift of tongues. So here's bad doctrine number three. And I've heard this one. Tongues are only for reaching people whose language you don't speak. Anybody ever heard that one? I've, I've heard it. Well, I believe in tongues. You know, the first two we looked at, there's no room for tongues at all unless you're demon-possessed. And many a demon-possessed, I've cast demons out of people before, and they foamed and growled at me. They never spoke in tongues. In fact, actually, the last demon, I know, I'm trying to think, kind of, kind of keep a memory bank of the demons you've cast out. The third demon back <laughs> that we cast out I would pray in tongues and that demon would say, stop saying that. I can't understand you. Well, I'm not going to obey a demon. Sounds like a religious person. Stop saying that. I can't understand. I'm going to pray in tongues more. And then I'd sing in the spirit. I hate that. Stop singing like that. That just made me want to sing in in the tongues more because it's it's irritating this demon who we're trying to get out of this poor woman who's tormented. So I I just think, now, now, now I wonder so many Christians I'm the demon-possessed one, but this person with the demon sounds like these Christians I know. This is pot calling the kettle black. Amen. This is the third one. Now we get into the doctrines that permit for some use of tongues, but always with a caveat or condition that it's for today, but probably not me or my church. So these folks, they actually begin to open up their heart or their mind to the word because they can't deny the 115 verses that deal with tongues 
or the passages, not every, there's not 115 verses that talk about tongues, but in the passages about tongues, there's 115 total verses. And I said, all right, well, there's enough evidence here. I, mean, I guess that's more than two or three witnesses. I guess I can believe in tongues, but we don't see it a lot because it's only for witnessing to bush people. That is, you know, people in the third world, aboriginal tribes, spears, and, uh, you know, cannibalism. So that's the common doctrine I hear from time to time. So this is not too common a teaching concerning tongues, but it is out there nonetheless. It seems to be based on people's experiences on the mission field or on a secondhand story from the mission field. This teaching finds only one scripture passage at its, as its pseudo support. So again, we build doctrine on the Bible. Uh, even if you're going to build a goofy doctrine, at least have three or four verses to back it up. This script, this doctrine says, I believe in tongues, but I believe they're for reaching people whose languages you don't speak. And I, I totally agree with that statement, but that's not the only reason for tongues. In fact, I was just, uh, oh, Jean-Paul, Reverend Jean-Paul, uh, we were talking with him this week and we were just talking about stuff. And he said when he was in China, of course, Jean-Paul is French. He's an American citizen now, but he's been doing missionary work for 35 or 40 years. He said, when I was in China, I was praying for a lady in China, and I just didn't know what to do, so I prayed in tongues. So I laid hands on her and prayed in tongues, and I didn't know it. He said, but I was praying perfect Mandarin over her. And uh, he said her eyes kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, he said, to me, it was just my prayer language. And he said, so then the interpreter said, do you realize you prayed in perfect Mandarin over her? No, what did I say? He said, you diagnosed the two diseases the doctor says she's dying from. And you encouraged her and said, she's not gonna die from these. He said, I had no idea what I was saying. But see, now that's, now again, we don't build doctrine on experience, but it's a cool story. But even then he wasn't preaching the gospel. She's already born again. He's just encouraging her through edification, exhortation, and comfort, which is also prophecy. But he is praying in her language. And I've heard countless stories about people just praying in the spirit, just their, known, their, their prayer language, and it ends up being a language somebody present knows, somebody who's present knows, and it encourages them. So let's, find, let's look at this one verse that I've heard folks use this. They say, well, I believe in tongues, but it's only for reaching the aboriginal bush people whose languages you don't speak. Scriptural basis. Acts 2, 4 through 13. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. This, of course, is the day of Pentecost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling, they were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, that these, these 120 were praying in tongues and speaking in tongues, that there was this wild service going on in this upper loft room, it says, uh, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? That would be like, aren't these folks from Baxter? Right? It's uneducated. These are fishermen. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya and Cyrene, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Crete and Arabians. That's a lot of different countries there and languages. We do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. These guys are drunk. So this is a doctrinal basis where good meaning Christians say, well, I believe in tongues, but it's only for witnessing to folks whose languages you don't speak. And therefore, here's, a base, here's my doctrinal basis for it. 
Okay, well, there's something to go on there, which is better than the previous two bad doctrines, tongues is done away with, which the Bible never says it will be. And that tongues is of the devil, which the Bible always blames the Holy Spirit, not a demon spirit. At least this one's got a little bit of a sliver of biblical basis. So here's some critical observations I make in having studied this for 20 years now. This was a group of devout men, God-fearing Jews, who had all had personally experienced the earthly and miraculous ministry of Jesus Christ. So these aren't bush people. These folks had been around Jesus. They had tasted and handled the bread of life. They were familiar with this Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They had been around his ministry. Everybody in Judea knew of Jesus. So you can't say it's only for witnessing to bush people who don't know God. These guys are devout Jews, proselytes from all over the Roman Empire who've come to Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost. So this is, in a sense, preaching to the choir. So we shoot down that philosophy, that doctrine, right off the bat there. Second critical observation. The result of tongues in this passage was, one, a great crowd drawn together, two, bewilderment, three, amazement, four, marveling, five, doubt, six, mocking. However, that's a lot of effect. Praise God for tongues and the the crowd it drew. But there were no conversions until Paul preached in his own language. Nobody got converted at all these folks speaking in tongues. Nobody got converted till Paul preached. The tongues last about three verses. Paul's message lasts about 25. It goes through the entire chapter of Acts after Acts chapter 2. Concludes in Acts 2.38 when he says, You must be born again, repent, be baptized, and you shall receive the gift of the Father. That's several verses of him actually preaching in a common language, probably Greek. Second observation, it is clear from these verses that no evangelism took place here, not in tongues. The gospel was not preached in other tongues. Rather, what was said in tongues? The wonderful works of God were declared. He says, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. It's the same God they're already worshiping. They're Jews. They're devout Jewish Jews and proselyte Jews from all over the Roman Empire. They're, they're, they're not talking about who, what God is this. They're knowing, they know exactly what God they're talking about. It's their same God, but they've never heard the gospel like they need to yet. Fourth observation, Peter had to stand and preach to this impromptu gathering in order to lead them to salvation in Christ. So I, I'm just showing you, this is the only doctrinal basis for uh, the belief that tongues is for today, but it's only for witnessing to bush people. Well, there were no bush people pygmies here. Nobody in loincloths, leopard print, or spears. Bones in their nose, or, you know, about to sacrifice their kid to a volcano. These were devout Jews who knew the Torah and the Pentateuch, and probably the Septuagint, the Greek Old Testament. No gospels preached, just the wonderful works of God are declared. Fifth observation, tongues appear to be used here not to evangelize directly, but as a supernatural sign signaling a change in what God was doing. How do we know that? Because part of Peter's message is, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. They all knew who Joel was. They're Jews. Oh, this, this is that. I've always wondered what that was when I read Joel. This is that, that out of my spirit in the last days will I pour out, out of all flesh. And your sons and daughters prophesy, old men dream, young men have visions. And all my handmaidens and my servants will I pour out of my spirit. And Peter says, this is that. He's preaching to the choir. He's not witnessing the bush people who, ha, who, who, who's Joel? What is the spirit? He's telling them what they already know, but he's signifying this is what we've been waiting for, folks. And it took a supernatural 
manifestation to get their attention. They were already in Jerusalem for God. They were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Harvest. And, he, and the Lord's having to demonstrate to these folks who are devout, sold out to God, they just don't know Jesus yet, that we're switching things up now because it's the church age. Sixth observation, this doctrine, this one that says tongues is only for witnessing to bush people whose language you don't speak. And I just jokingly say bush people because it could be Polish if you're in Poland. It could be Russians if you're in Russia. Though I do have a story about Russian. All of these other purposes, this doctrine ignores all of these other purposes the Bible clearly teaches that speaking in tongues accomplishes. So there's eight reasons the New Testament says, or eight things the New Testament says tongues accomplishes when you pray in tongues. We cover that in lesson eight, eight things tongues accomplishes. So this doctrine alone ignores all those other verses. So this can't be a fully sound doctrine if it ignores eight other passages that fully help us define what tongues is really all about. We've got a friend, Pastor Ed Weiss. This is a Russian story. Uh, He's in Chicago. He and his son, they've been to 14 or 15 countries. They only count the countries they've established churches in. So that's how much mission work they do. So I said, well, how many have you been to? He said, about 14 or 15 then. So they were in Russia. And this is probably back in the late 90s because his son, John, who's about my age, was, you know, late teenager, early 20s. They're in Russia, and this, they're trying to get into some, a region to do some evangelism, and they're, they're having no, no support. They're being resisted. And if you know Pastor Ed Weiss, the guy is crazy. He has no fear, and they'll just, you know, just parachute him in there, and he'll establish a church by the time the week's over. But they're being very stiff on him because they had no translator, and I don't know why you go to Russia without Seventh Eye lined up. So he doesn't know what he's going to do. They're kind of stuck in a hotel. And so they just go to bed praying, and he wakes up in the morning, and his son is gone. He's a little nervous, so he's frantic, so he goes down to the hotel lobby, and he, as he comes around into like the little diner or the little restaurant, there's all these Russian military guys in there. He sees them in their uniform, and they're laughing, and they're having this conversation, and it's all in Russian. He comes around the corner, and they're all circled around his late teenage son, John, who's talking to them in Russian, and he said, John, so he interrupts. He said, what? what are you doing? He said, I'm talking to the general here and his men. In what? In Russian. Since when do you speak Russian? Since about three o'clock this morning. (laughs) He said, I went to bed praying. I said, Lord, you got to help us here. He said, I started praying in tongues. And then I realized this is Russian and I understand exactly what I'm saying. And they ended up, the generals loved them. They had favor with them. I don't think any of them got born again, but they said, where do you want to go? We'll take you there. To this day, that's almost 20 years ago, John still speaks Russian. Now, that's an example. We don't build doctrine on that. But there's, you know, there's something maybe somewhat similar, but none of those guys got born again. But just a supernatural gift based on somebody's faith. But they were already tongue talkers before that. They just never prayed in Russian or understood it. Furthermore, you know, he still speaks Russian today. He still has that in him. Now, that's the only time I've ever heard a story like that. And I've been running these circles for 20 years. It's a cool story, though. Anyway, I just want to throw that out there. So let's look at some contradictory scriptures that would seem to imply tongues isn't just for bush people. And the following contradict this doctrine, 1 Corinthians 13, 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am become as a sounding brass and or a tinkling cymbal. All right, so this verse, apparently tongues has two categories, angelic tongues and human tongues. Sometimes when we pray in tongues, it's, it's a human language. Sometimes when we pray in tongues... It's not of this earth at all and never will be. It's angelic. Uh, There's times I pray in tongues and I say, that sounds French to me. 
And then I feel all Frenchy, you know. And there's times I pray in tongues because it's diversity of tongues. I said, this sounds Asian to me. This sounds Vietnamese to me. I, it sounds like some language I used to be around, though I never spoke it. I think we've all had those kind of experiences. But the Bible is also very clear. There's an angelic tongue, too. Paul said, I speak in both of them. Now, we know the emphasis here is the lack of love, and it means nothing if you don't have love working in you. But we can't gloss over the fact that Paul throws out there two classifications of tongues, men, earthly, and angelic. Uh, I find it interesting that when I went to cast out that demon one time, that demon did not understand the language I was praying in, but I believe demons understand all earthly languages because they've been here forever. But whatever I was praying in, that demon did not know, and it was not happy with that. Could it be I was praying in the angelic tongue? I don't know. I just know that demon sounded a whole lot like a denominational Christian and commanded me to stop, even though the Bible says forbid not to speak with tongues. How many churches forbid to speak with tongues and violate scripture? And Paul said, I would that you all spoke with tongues. I wish, I pray, I desire that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy, for he that prophesies edifies the church. So if tongues are only for evangelizing overseas, why would the Holy Spirit allow us to also speak in angelic tongues? Just, a, just an observation, just a scripture that contradicts this sliver of a doctrine. How about Acts 10, 44? While Peter yet spake these words, this is in Cornelius' household, a Roman Gentile who was a devout man, loved God, but he didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. So picture this. Peter is preaching in Greek to Cornelius and his great household. A great multitude was gathered together. And while Peter is yet preaching, the Gentiles start speaking in tongues. Wait a minute. I thought we said the doctrine we're looking at is tongues is only for witnessing to bush people. So wait a minute. So, so the Gentiles are now witnessing to the apostle Peter? That doesn't... Wait, no. They said... Go look for one Simon Peter in the house of Simon the Tanner. He will give you words whereby you and your whole house must be saved. So here's an example. Tongues ain't for bush people. Tongues ain't for Peter. Tongues is an evidence that these folks got born again. Because he looks at them in the day of the circumcision that with him said, Can any man forbid water that these might be also baptized? For it is evident that upon them has the Holy Spirit been poured like on us in the beginning. They got born again in their heart. And instantly they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which Peter said was the promise of the Father. And now he says, well, the only baptism they're lacking is water. Can any man forbid it? Because obviously they weren't in the habit of baptizing Gentiles because they didn't think they knew God. Here, obviously, you can't speak in tongues till you're born again. We know they got born again. They start speaking in tongues, not to witness to any bush people, but as an evidence, once again, that God has done something they didn't think was possible. Seems to me over and over again, we're seeing tongues many times as an evidence a proof, a supernatural demonstration. Here, those being evangelized spoke in tongues, not the preacher. If tongues are only for evangelizing bush people, why do these bush people speak in tongues to the great apostle Peter? But notice they spoke in tongues and magnified God. They didn't speak in tongues and preach. They didn't speak in tongues and, and evangelize. They spoke in tongues and magnified God. Here's one of these evidences that sometimes speaking in tongues is just you glorifying God. Father, I love you. Father, you're worthy. Father, you're holy. Doc, Dr. Barclay tells that story that when he was in Africa years ago and uh, the Lord led him to this bush village and as he came through the, the thick there, there was a little village and they were having a ladies, you know, little bush ladies um, disciple group over here and there was a woman chained to a tree. And 
He could tell she was demon-possessed. That's why you chain people to trees in the third world. You see it in India. You see it in Africa. This woman's chained to a tree. And so he ends up getting the, the pastor whose sister this is to let the sister go so he can pray for her. So he prays for her, and the demons come out of this woman. And they, he says, you could see the power of God and the peace of Jesus Christ fall upon this woman who was tormented so bad they had to chain her, feed her like a dog. And even the pastor said, well, this is my sister. And sometimes she throws herself in water to drown herself. Sometimes she throws herself into the fire. And Dr. Barclay always says, I've, I've read about this demon. This was in Mark chapter nine, same demon here or same type of demon. But she gets born again and as the demons are driven out and she begins to weep and she lifts her hands up and she begins to say, oh Jesus, I love you. Oh Jesus, you're wonderful. Oh Jesus, thank you for saving me. And, and he said, we had to hurry and get to our airplane. He said, he's flying overseas and the spirit of the Lord speaks to him and says, did you notice what I did for that woman? And he said, yeah, Lord, you set her free. And she, she got saved. He said, did you notice what she did after that? He said, yeah, she began to thank you and glorify you. He said, did you see what that was? And pastor always tells the story. He argued in his heart. Well, yes, yeah, she was thanking you. He said, no, 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 no. No, she doesn't speak English. Did you notice you went in that village and you had to have an interpreter everywhere you went? And the Lord said, that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And her language is English. And what did she do in English? She didn't witness to anybody. She glorified God. So to the bush people, she's speaking in tongues. To Dr. Barclay, she's speaking in English. To the Lord, he's being glorified. Pretty cool. Amen. So that's what happened at Cornelius' household. They begin to speak in tongues and magnify God. They were probably saying, thank you, Lord. Lord, you're magnificent. Lord, we exalt thee. Lord, thank you for sending Peter to preach to us. Thank you for the gospel. Who knows what they were saying? Only heaven. Acts 19, 6. And when Peter had laid his hand, Paul, excuse me, Paul had laid his hands upon them. This is the Ephesians disciples. Remember, he came to the upper coast, found certain disciples. And he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? And they said, we don't know whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said, unto what? Then were you baptized? He said, unto John's baptism. These guys, they're born again. They're disciples. He lays hands on them and the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied. Again, the preacher did not speak in tongues to preach or minister, rather those listening to the gospel ended up speaking in tongues. So are they speaking in tongues to witness to Paul because he's a bush people? And by bush people, I just mean someone whose language you don't speak in the third world. No, this is just another evidence that they got because they get, when, when Paul meets them, they're only baptized into the body of Christ, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. They don't even know the Lord's baptism yet. They're only baptized in John's baptism. So they get water baptized as soon as Paul teaches them about proper water baptism. And then after they're water baptized, they have two of the three baptisms of the New Testament, baptized in the body of Christ, baptized in the water for mission of sins. He lays his hands on them. They get baptized in the Holy Ghost. Then they start speaking in tongues. Do you really think they're witnessing to Paul? No, they spoke in Greek perfectly to each other. And now this is just another evidence. I'm just doing a very sound biblical job of tearing down this erroneous doctrine. I have no problem with saying sometimes tongues witnesses to people. I've even tried it a couple of times. I've been, you know, been overseas a lot and you kind of shuffle near somebody and you're like, they don't have a clue what I'm saying. All right, it ain't working. Somebody get me an interpreter. Somebody get me someone who can translate English into this language. I did that in Poland once and it didn't work there either. Amen. Bad doctrine number four, I think we soundly prove, and I'm all for it. I mean, there's times when you'll pray in tongues and somebody will understand it and it'll encourage them. 
but you don't have that as a biblical precedent. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen, but we don't build a doctrine on it because we don't have a Bible for it. So let's look at bad doctrine number four. I think we've, we've thoroughly proven that one. If there are going to be tongues in a service, there must always be an interpreter. Otherwise, it's out of order. We've all heard that. Again, I was raised Southern Baptist. My parents are still devout Southern Baptists. I still claim Baptist. I support the Baptist youth camp I got born again at. We send them money. But this is the very commonly held doctrine. If anybody has something against tongues, it's always going to be there needs to be an interpreter. And I totally agree that there are times you need to have an interpreter. But this does not take into account all 115 verses teaching on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. This takes into account one verse. The interpretation of tongues is, is, is required in only one verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 does talk about tongues and interpretation of tongues. But really think about it. 1 Corinthians 14 says, and if there any have tongue, let one interpret. If there be any interpreter, let him keep silent in the church. Let him pray to himself and to God. Well, if he prays, to, let him speak to, excuse me, he says, speak to himself and to God. If he's speaking to himself and to God, he's still speaking. Mm-hmm. He's just not speaking in the service like I am right now. So if, if we're going to throw out all tongues because one verse requires an interpretation, we have neglected 114 other verses. We don't build doctrine on one verse. We build doctrine on at least two or three. So let's look at this. This common doctrinal stance is based on Scripture. Praise God. At least we got Bible for it. Generally, those who hold this doctrine want to give the Holy Spirit room to move, and they don't want to put him in a box. They generally believe that the gifts of the Spirit have not passed away, but they probably can't explain most of them, nor have they actually seen the gift of tongues in operation. Thank God they're basing their their doctrines on the Bible, uh, but at some point, you, you start to get out there and see how these things operate. Even as a scientist, you can have all the hypotheses you want, but at some point, you start testing it. You start proving it. If you're not willing to prove your doctrine or test your doctrine, I think you're scared of it. I mean, it's like if you believe in world evangelism, at some point you go witness to somebody. Otherwise, it's just head knowledge that does you no good. So look, let's look at the scriptural basis for this statement that says, if there's going to be tongues, I believe in tongues, but if there's going to be tongues, there better be an interpreter. All right, let's look at the scriptural basis for it. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, 28, 33. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at most by three, and that by course. That means in order, in due order, not, not recklessly. And let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. All right, so if there be no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church service. And let him speak to himself, though, so he is speaking and let him speak to God. Notice it's speaking. It's not thinking. It's not meditating. It's speaking. Just like when I say, let's pray, and I'm the one mic'd, you're going to pray in English, but you're not praying in the service. I'm the one praying in the service. You're still praying, though. You're still talking. Let's pray something together. Everybody hears me because I'm the one mic'd. I'm the one running the service. You're still talking, though, but you're not drawing attention to you. All right. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And absolutely, praise God. We've seen it around here that whenever the Spirit of God moves in the gifts of the Spirit, I'll say, has anybody got something? And I have, I've proven it, just testing it, because God says, prove me now. And I'll say, you know what? We had two or three tongues. I think that's it. If God can't say it in two or three utterances, he doesn't know what he's doing. We ought to just shut it down now. And you find that you'll never will you have more than three tongues and interpretations because if God can't communicate what he's trying to communicate in two or three vocal utterances, 
he's kind of an inefficient God. And I have found that in those services, after two or three uh, utterances, the Spirit of God lifts and we're done. So Paul was saying the same thing here. It's something we've just proven by looking at the verse and looking to practice it in our church services. All right. The Bible is, in fact, very clear on the use of tongues in a church service. If tongues is to be used for the edifying, and that's critical, for the edifying of the local body, that is the whole church. If tongues is to be used for the edifying of the whole body, it must be interpreted. If tongues is coming forth by the Holy Spirit for the edification of the entire body, it has to be interpreted. Right? An interpreter must interpret the message into understandable language, otherwise no one is edified. So what is the problem with this doctrine as the carte blanche, the blank check, the blanket statement for this doctrine? It erroneously assumes that all tongues require an an interpretation. The Bible speaks more about tongues edifying the personal believer than it does the church body. So if I'm in private, and as Jude says, pray in the Holy Ghost, building yourself up. And as 1 Corinthians 14 says, he that prays in tongues speaks not unto men, but unto himself, because he edifies himself. Then those tongues don't require the interpretation. Two times, I think there's a third one, when it says, when you, my spirit prayeth mysteries, my spirit speaketh, but my understanding is unfruitful. Paul acknowledges the fact that there is a tongues that we pray in that is not for the edification of the body, but for the personal believer. As I always like to say, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 4, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. Howbeit in the spirit he speaks mysteries. If I'm not speaking unto you, this is an A-B conversation. See your way out of it. Quit being so nosy. Rosy? There's tongues that we pray and it's just to God. And the Bible's very clear there. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men. Well, if he speaketh not unto men, do I need the interpretation? No, but the Bible's not schizophrenic. There is a tongues that is for the church that must be interpreted. What we have to do is rightly divide the word of truth and recognize when it requires an interpretation and when it's just me praying. Whether it's in Spanish because I'm Hispanic and you don't understand that. I've been with the Baptists all over the world and they never demanded the Polish interpret what they were praying. And they never demanded the Chileans or the Mexicans when I was in Mexico that they interpret their Spanish because we don't understand what you're saying. Because we understood they were just talking to God in their seat in a language I didn't know. This is middle Tennessee. I don't understand half of what you guys say in English and I don't demand an interpretation. (laughs) We understand this. All right. This doctrine fails to see the double-sided, like a coin, nature of tongues, tongues for the personal believer's edification and tongues for the edification of the local church. It's one kind of tongue when you're praying in the spirit in your prayer closet, uh, just in your car, just as part of your walk with God. That doesn't require interpretation, though you can pray for it if you want to. The Bible says so, 1 Corinthians 14. It's another thing for me to stand up and say, all right, I need to pray in the spirit. I believe the Lord has a message for us. And I pray in tongues and then uh, there's the interpretation. Furthermore, as I would like to point out, how do you know the interpretation isn't my message that I preach for an hour? How do you know the interpretation isn't we change up the song service? See, people who demand this, and I thank God that at least they have Bible verse to demand it, they show they have no experience with it because they think it has to come one way and they've never seen all the different ways it can come. You can pray in tongues and the Lord, in the, the interpretation, be call Steve Wolf out, lay hands on him and pray this over him. And I can pray in tongues and say, Steve, why don't you come up here? I need to lay hands on you. And just pray a prayer. 
And in, in effect, it becomes prophecy because it's the interpretation. But see, <laughs> just it tickles me that folks that want to know it all have never experienced any of it. Folks that act like the know-it-alls and they're so demanding, never have experienced any of it. And so it's like, look, you can talk about car theory all you want, but go drive one, then come talk to me. You can, you can act like an Air Force pilot all you want, but until you've landed F-14s on the deck of a carrier for 15 years, don't, don't act like you know it all. You're going to really show off on your ignorance. Because a lot of this Christian walk, like the most of it, is experience. What have you done with the word that you know? So let's look at some critical observations This is the only mention in all scriptures of the need for an interpreter. Three verses. I I chalk it up to just one because the third one really is uh, God is not the author of confusion. It's the only mention of it that this is required. Thank God because we do need the interpretation when it's needed. Point number two. The interpretation of tongues was never demonstrated in all of Acts. The entire book of Acts with all the tongues that went on in the book of Acts never once records the interpretation of tongues. That's, even, that's worth noting. It's worth noting that we never see in a single example of tongues interpreted in the book of Acts, though you will see the other eight gifts of the Spirit manifested. You see discerning of spirits. You see special faith, working of miracles, gifts of healing. You see prophecy. You see the word of knowledge. You see word of wisdom, and you see tongues. Just an interesting observation. Point three. The Bible clearly teaches that tongues aren't always for the local church. Therefore, they would not require an interpreter. Most of scripture on the subject is dedicated to the benefits of tongues for the personal believer, not just the local church. 1 Corinthians 14, 2, 4, 14, Romans 8, 26, and Jude 20. Romans 8 is my favorite because it says, the Holy Spirit also maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Sometimes we pray in tongues and it's just us interceding for ourselves. Do you want me to interpret that I'm struggling with pornography, homosexuality, and lusting after your wife? I don't think I want anybody interpreting that. <laughs> what if I'm interceding for you and Greg's the one who's lusting after your wife and your son and your daughter and he's struggling with suicide? I don't think he wants that interpreted either. And yet the Holy Spirit still maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered and inarticulate language as the Greek reads. Thank God. And as verse 27 says, for he that knows the heart of the mind of the spirit searches the hearts of man and prays according to the will of the father. We have the entire Trinity working on our behalf to intercede for the things we don't even know how to pray for. Thank God for tongues. And I don't think I want any of that interpreted. And God's not going to embarrass us. So I don't think he wants it interpreted either. According to verse 27 in Romans 8, it's the father sending the Lord Jesus to judge your heart to know what you're dealing with. And then he reveals it to the Holy Spirit to make intercession for you through your groanings to benefit yourself. Nobody else is included in that. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and you needing help. Amen. Next point. If tongues are the only source of disorder in a church, you're doing pretty good. Because <laughs> the, the, the excuse is, well, if there's no tongues, there's disorder in the church. Well, fine. I, okay, we can agree on a sliver of that. What about the Jezebels that run your church? You're going to deal with them the way you're dealing with my tongues? What about your rebellion and you're trying to control your pastor? You're going to deal with that disorder? What about the brats in the children's department and the youth that are sleeping around? You're going to deal with that disorder? How come it's only the Holy Spirit's assumed disorder that you're going to fight for or against? If this is the only source of disorder you have in a church, you are doing really good. And like one man said, I'd rather have wildfire than no fire. You, at least if someone's speaking in tongues and it's out of order, they're at least trying for more of God. 
If a Jezebel's out of order, she doesn't want more of God. She wants more of her. If the teenager's sleeping around, they don't want more of God. They want more lust. So if this is the only disorder you have, and we don't want disorder, but if this is the only disorder you have, I think you're doing pretty good. Amen. And since when have the proponents of this doctrine been keen on keeping order in a local church? Since when did you want organization? And most churches are run by their deacon board anyway. That's totally out of God's order. Most pastors won't keep their flock straight because they're intimidated by them. That's totally out of order. Half your worship team's full of divas. That's totally out of order. The other half are showboats. That's totally out of order. Since when are we going to fight for order in the local church? Only when the Holy Spirit wants to move? Just an observation. These are scriptures written by a tongue talker, Paul, to tongue talkers about speaking in tongues. All these verses. How then will a non-tongue talker ever effectively get it? How? If this, Paul's a tongue talker, he's operated in tongues, writing to churches that all spoke in tongues about how tongues should operate in their church. And you have a church that doesn't speak in tongues with Christians who don't, have never experienced tongues and they're gonna give us the proper interpretation. It's like uh, Brother Roy and, and Brother Chad, they do electrical work. I know nothing about electricity except for my light doesn't come on or off. And I wanna start telling them how codes read and start telling them the proper way to wire 220 or 110. I, I got no dog in this fight. I better just sit down and be schooled and be willing to realize all I understand about lighting is that it's good. And when I don't have it, it's bad. And the other thing else, I leave up to the experts. But I also point out, I think we cover it in the next lesson, it's worth observing uh, that Paul is the one who taught us that there must be an interpretation, right? It's Paul, 1 Corinthians. Never once did Paul demand it in the book of Acts. Is Paul, is he letting himself slide on doctrine? Is he contradicting himself? Acts 19, nine, uh, 12 uh, disciples get baptized in the Holy Spirit. They start to prophesy and magnify and speak in tongues. Does Paul say, whoa, 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 whoa no, 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 no. Why are we here? Let me t- you need interpretation. What about Peter? He never once demanded interpretation. Are they schizophrenic? This is in every meeting, just not ours? No, there's something else going on here. That's what we have to slow down and look at. And we've got five more lessons that will help further explain this. When I have two whole lessons just on the interpretation of tongues, when it's necessary, what it looks like, how it works, and that's going to be awesome. But we do have to recognize there's a tongues that's just for the edification of the personal believer. And we have a whole lesson. The New Testament gives us eight things that when you pray in tongues, what it does for your life. Why would you not want it? And not one of those eight things requires an interpretation to happen. So there's just more to it. If you get nothing out of this, just walk away realizing if you're going to have Bible doctrine, you need more than one verse to build it. You need at least two, three, and if you got 115, you can, you can build this nice image. And as a kid, we used to play connect the dots. You know when you have one dot, you don't have much of a picture. If we have one dot, you can call it anything you want. You can make it be what you want. But when you have like 70, and you know, the older you get, the more dots you get, and you don't know anything past 40 or 50, you know, you start to draw puff the magic dragon with the connect the dots you get the full picture of it with over a hundred verses on tongues we can get the full picture we cannot say all tongues hinges around two verses one little section in first corinthians 14 there's more going on there that we ought to look at and get the full picture of it we we have over a hundred holy ghost songs that we did for about three years where i would start off or someone would start off singing in tongues and then we'd record 30 minutes worth of lyrics 
that the Holy Spirit would give as the interpretation to the worship team. There's tongues and interpretation of tongues. I was just showing uh, some of our friends some of it. I, it's almost like it's over 70 hours on my, I, my phone, uh, my, my laptop alone of tongues and interpretation of tongues. I think that's pretty good experience. <laughs> Especially when the lyrics come out and they all rhyme. And you do that for hours a week. I, you kind of get some experience going on. Uh, just like my only experience hooking up electricity, I laid myself on the floor because I set two Allen wrenches into 220 and I didn't bother to kill the switch outside the mobile home. That's my only experience. I can't say electricity's bad. I must say I am dumb and don't know much. Wake up on the floor of the mobile home there in the fetal position with a severe ab workout and my teeth hurt. Thank God it blew me down. But that doesn't mean there isn't more to it. Amen. Conclusion, this commonly held stance on the gift of tongues fails to build accurate doctrine based on all of the scriptural support provided in the Bible. There are tongues that require interpretation and there are tongues that will never require interpretation. And understanding that difference is so critical. Father, we thank you for this lesson. I pray, Lord, that these scriptures and these observations kind of, they work to illuminate our understanding. Father, may we we're a tongue-talking church. May we help, help us to understand how to operate with you in this, how to explain these doctrines to others, and how to even be using the gifts of the Spirit more accurately ourselves. We know, Lord, that the gifts of the Spirit are your will, and they're more needful now than they've ever been. Father, bless these lessons. Help us to love your word and to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.